night, and it shall be in the morning, that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well, let him do the kinsman's part. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of a kinsman to thee, as the Lord liveth, lie down until the morning. And she lay at his feet until the morning, and she rose up before one could know another, and he said, let it, be, let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. And he also, he said, bring the veil that thou hast upon thee and hold it. And when he, she held it, he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her, and she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, who art thou, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done to her. And she said, These six measures of barley gave he me, for he said to me, Go not empty unto thy mother-in-law. Then said she, Sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall, for the man will not be in rest until he have finished the thing this day. Last week, if you were with us, you recall that we considered Ruth's response to Naomi's instruction in the previous verses. And within her response, Ruth affirmed her love or her desire to grow in her knowledge of Boaz. And we saw a couple of ways in which this actually uh, transpired. First of all, Ruth affirmed her love by Boaz, uh, for Boaz by submitting herself at his feet. And we've seen this uh, multiple times already throughout these weeks of study. In verse 7 we read, and when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn, and she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid her down. Ruth approached Boaz, as we mentioned, secretly and out of respect for Boaz and with a desire to be near him in a submissive and a humble spirit. Ruth's first personal act of pursuing a relationship with Boaz was one of submission, one of sacrifice, and one of humility. Boaz had reached out this whole time to Ruth and allowed her to, not only allowed her, but instructed her to remain in his field and also gave her a place in his field, even to uh, make provision for her by those who would glean and uh, leave, leave handfuls uh, behind uh, intentionally that she might have more than enough to take home and to provide for Naomi and herself. And so we, we, are, we are made aware that uh, Boaz has been intentional in his desire to be gracious towards Ruth, but also to grow in a relationship with her. But this was the first time that Ruth has done anything intentional herself towards Boaz. And, and she goes to him in a selfless manner as well, and in a very respectful and submissive manner to beat his feet. Then we saw also that Ruth received everything that she needed when, submit, when she submitted herself at the feet of Boaz in verses 8 through 11. And it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid and turned himself, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. And he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, fear not, I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. So we saw Ruth's request here in verse 9 when she said, I am Ruth thine handmaid, spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. In the noun skirt, I told you, it infers to a wing, an edge, or in him. And Ruth is actually submitting herself in reality under the wing of Boaz, under his provision, under his protection. And what's more, 
is that Ruth finds herself in this position due to the fact, as we saw last week, that she had already entrusted herself under the Lord's wing as our wings, as Boaz commented in Ruth chapter 2. In Ruth 2, 12, we read, The Lord recompense thy work, Boaz is speaking to Ruth, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. So because Ruth had submitted herself under the care of Naomi and to follow after her and said, Thy God will, or your people will be my people, your God, my God, I'll have a new land. Your land is our, my land. She's saying, I will go with you. I, I will forsake everything behind and trusting myself totally to your God. And so Boaz recognized that and says that you've entrusted yourself under the wings of the Lord God of Israel. And then we see Boaz's response in verse 11. Boaz assured Ruth, he said, my daughter, fear not. I will do to thee all that thou requirest. And so Boaz was committed to do everything that Ruth had requested him to do and everything Ruth needed him to do on her behalf. As verse 11 testifies, Boaz was determined to do all that was Ruth requested and desired. Boaz was determined to redeem Ruth at all costs. And we find this determination or this perseverance of Boaz within the following verses of this text as well, which we've read tonight. Now, we've read quite a, a lengthy passage tonight compared to what we normally do throughout this narrative. The verses 12 through 18 are, are full of um, quite a bit of, of information concerning historically what took place and also uh, many things to consider in relation to how they do parallel our redemptive experience as God has redeemed us and how he draws us to himself and the response of Ruth and all that takes place. And so I want, just, want us to, to pay attention to verses 12 through 18 tonight and to give our attention to these verses. And we'll begin in verse 12 where I want to point out that there is something that is present that has to be dealt with and that is redemption's opposition. There's an opposition to this redemption. In verse 12 it says, And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman. This is Boaz speaking to Ruth. How be it? There is a kinsman nearer than I. There was something that stood between Boaz and Ruth. Boaz is a near kinsman, but yet there's one who is nearer to her than even Boaz is. Now, while Boaz was more than willing to do everything necessary, as we've seen, to redeem Ruth, and we will see in the future verses, there was one obstacle which had to be overcome for the redemptive work to be completed. Ruth, by virtue of being a part of Naomi's family, had a kinsman redeemer who at that time, and this is important, please hear what I'm saying, who at, at that time of this passage, at this point in the, in the historical narrative of Ruth, was closer to her, closer to Ruth, than was Boaz. Despite Ruth's lack of knowledge that this other kinsman even existed. Men are born ignorant to the true condition of their sin. However, the flesh which is to say the sinful nature which all men possess is the true obstacle that must be dealt with if redemption is to be realized. In Galatians, Paul explained in Galatians 5.17, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and they are contrary the one to the other so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. And I've mentioned before to you in Galatians study that the verb lusteth means to desire, to long after. And regarding the believer in Jesus Christ, the residue of the sinful flesh that still exists, just as Paul mentions in his discourse in Romans chapter 7, 
This flesh is a constant battle which we face as believers in Jesus Christ. In other words, I am redeemed. I'm set free from the power of sin. I'm set free from the bondage of sin. But I still must contend with the presence of sin. And the presence of sin is not just an exterior problem. The presence of sin is still an interior problem. It's an internal problem within us. Because we still are in this body of death, as Paul called it. And the body of death Paul spoke of was not just merely talking about this physical flesh and skin that you see. It's the sinful nature of this physical flesh that you see. Scripture speaks of the flesh, and at times it's speaking of literally this body that you physically are viewing tonight. But then there's times that the Scripture references the flesh, and it's not talking about your physical body. It's talking about the sinful nature that exists and resides within your physical body. And in Romans chapter 7, Paul goes through this entire discourse where he says, I don't do the things that I desire to do, and I desire to do the things that I don't do. And he, and he goes and concludes, let me give you again context to this, which I know that you are probably familiar with, especially if you've been with us throughout our Romans study years ago now. But in Romans chapter 6, Paul begins by saying, after talking about chapters, uh, the latter part of chapter 3 and all of chapter 4, talking about the justification, explanation of God's justify, justification on our behalf. And then in chapter 5, he talks about the benefits of this justification. Then in chapter 6, he begins to talk about how the, uh, we are free from the power and bondage of sin. He begins the chapter by saying, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Romans chapter 6. And then in chapter 7, though, he talks about the presence of sin, if you recall, because then he talks about how I would do the things I don't, I don't do the things that I would. Who shall deliver me from this body of death, a wretched man that I am? So he's saying, I still contend with the sinful nature that is present. And then in chapter 8, it begins by explaining we are free from the condemnation of such sin, even though it's still present with us, because he says, um, there is therefore now no condemnation, chapter 8, verse 1, to them who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Our desires are not after the flesh, and we do not just give ourselves over to the sinful flesh, but we walk and follow after the Spirit of God. And so here Paul is saying in chapter 6 that we are free from the bondage and power of sin. In chapter 8 he says we are free from the judgment and wrath of God which condemns us because of sin, but we've been set free of that in Christ. But chapter 7 between the two reminds us we still must contend with the presence of sin. That it is with us, it is present among us, and that we still have a sinful nature. And so Paul makes us very aware of that. And because these two natures are contrary, the one to the other, the desires of the flesh are in opposition to the spirit, and the spirit's desires are in direct opposition to that of the flesh. And Paul continues to explain the wickedness of this sinful nature in verses 19 through 21 of Galatians 5. Paul goes on to say, Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, Paul listed here a plethora of sins within this passage, yet there is a common thread among them all. Notice what he says. First of all, adultery. This, I'm going to define these for you, and we went through this in our study of Galatians, but I want to provide it for you again because we're looking at the obstacle that exists between Ruth and 
Boaz redeeming her, and the obstacle that exists between man and his redemption in Jesus Christ. And, and first of all, is adultery, a sexual relationship with someone other than one's spouse, fornication, any type of sexual immorality, uncleanness, the state of moral impurity, lasciviousness, behavior absent of any and all moral restraint, idolatry, the worship of idols or false gods, witchcraft, and this is the, the Greek word pharmakia, which means sorcery or magic. And this is the word from which we drive our English word pharmacy or pharmaceutics. And the witchcraft is often involved, it involved the use of mind-altering drugs. That's what's being referenced here. Hatred, a state of enmity with someone. Variance, conflict resulting from division and discord. Emulation, zealous, jealousy. Wrath, a state of intense anger. Strife, selfish ambition. Seditions, division and discord. Heresies, division of people into separate groups. Envyings, jealousy. Murders, killings. Drunkenness, be drunk. Revelings, carousing, revelry. Unrestrained indulgence in alcohol and immorality. So regarding the sinful flesh, what we must understand is that, that there are works of the sinful flesh. Paul explains them to us here. He says that they are contrary to the presence of God's Spirit within the believer, but that those who do such things as we just mentioned shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So they are those who are following after that sinful fleshly nature rather than following after the Spirit of God. Now, as we saw with Ruth, going back to Ruth now for a moment, as we saw with Ruth, there was a kinsman that was closer to Ruth at this point in time than Boaz was. Even though Boaz had reached out to her, even though Boaz had shown grace to her, even though Boaz had been loving towards her, even though Boaz had given her kindness, even though Boaz had been providing for her, and even though Ruth now is at the point of saying, I- I'm submitting myself at your feet, there is something that stood between Boaz and Ruth's redemption. And it was a kinsman that was closer to her than was Boaz at this point in time. And regarding the sinful flesh, I think it would be foolish if we don't recognize that the sinful flesh is the closest of kin to us. We cannot get away from the flesh in which we live. We cannot remove ourselves from the sinful nature of such flesh. And while we consist of more than a body, the soul which inhabits the body is entrapped in a body which has an inherent sinful nature. So when we consider Ruth, and going back to that, we continually see the character of Boaz revealed throughout this account in relation to this kinsman that is nearer to Ruth than he is at this point in time. First, we notice that Boaz acknowledged that there was another kinsman. This in itself reveals some, of the, some part of the character of, of Boaz because obviously Boaz at this point, he could have simply ignored that fact, knowing it himself. Ruth didn't know it, and obviously Naomi didn't know it either. But Boaz knew it. So what Naomi was ignorant concerning and what Ruth was ignorant concerning this other kinsman, obviously. Remember, they've been gone for years. Naomi's not been home for years. She doesn't know everything that's happening. She doesn't remember everything, surely. She's suffered great grief, and she is unaware of this other kinsman by all indication. But yet, Boaz is absolutely aware that there's another kinsman. He's aware that there's someone closer to Ruth than he himself is at this point in time. Second, concerning Boaz's character, we see that Boaz would not violate Ruth nor the customs of his culture in which the other kinsmen had first rights to redemption. Spence Jones stated, Boaz was that 
of that strictly honorable cast of mind that he could not for a moment entertain any project that might amount to a disregard of the rights of others, even although these rights should fly violently in the teeth of his own personal desires. So here, the character of Boaz is seen in that he desired to take Ruth and to marry her. He desired to redeem her. He desired to... to um, to reestablish the, the name of Elimelech, if you will, among the people. He, he desired for all of this to be, but yet he was willing to sacrifice his own personal desires that this process might be fulfilled in the proper way and the only way it, it properly could. It is believed by some, as I've already mentioned, that the fact that there was a kinsman closer than Boaz is something of which Naomi was ignorant. Else, she would not have sent Ruth to Boaz in such a manner as she did. And obviously, I don't believe she would have. She's sending her to do the things she does and instructs her accordingly, pointing her to Boaz, saying, this is the man you need to go to. This is the man you need to marry. This is the man who's going to provide for you. And so she sends him to Boaz in Boaz's direction that Ruth might find rest for her soul with Boaz. And she expresses such in the previous verses. The point which stands out within this portion of this account at this point, I believe, is that Boaz would only redeem Ruth honestly. While Boaz could have acted according to his own personal desire, he refused to act dishonestly. And Boaz would only redeem Ruth with complete transparency concerning all the conditions surrounding Ruth and her need. Think of redemption in this sense. While both Naomi and Ruth may have been ignorant of the existence and connection of this near unnamed kinsman, Boaz not only knew who he was, but also Boaz knew how to reach him and Boaz knew how to properly deal with him. And it's interesting because we never know the name of this individual, but yet his existence is real nonetheless. And Boaz never ignored this kinsman. He didn't just act like he didn't exist. It's interesting, I think, that when you relate this to redemption as we are redeemed by our Lord Jesus Christ, you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden at the first sin committed by man. And after Eve and Adam have both sinned, and Adam's the one responsible and he's the head of the house, therefore he, being the head of Eve, obviously is held accountable for this sin. And that being said, whenever Adam and Eve went and hid, what did God do? He called them out. And he said, Adam, where art thou? And again, as I've said many times to you, that is not a question of logistics. God knew exactly where Adam was. God is making Adam, calling Adam out, forcing Adam to come and face him in the condition in which he found himself. Now, God still came where Adam was, no doubt about that. But then God calls Adam out. God did not just go slay animal, slay an animal and then clothe them. No, he calls Adam out and says, Adam, where are you? And he makes Adam face him as he was. God never just covers over our sin. He remedies the problem of sin that is present. So we see here that 
Boaz was the only one able to do this. Look at redemption's promise in verse 13. Tarry this night, Boaz says to Ruth, and it shall be in the morning that if he will perform the other kinsman unto thee the part of a kinsman, well, let him do the kinsman's part. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of a kinsman to thee, as the Lord liveth, lie down until the morning. The responsibility would have fallen on Naomi or Ruth, honestly, to deal with the other kinsmen. Now, I know they were women, but the point is, they are kinsmen, and, and just as Naomi points Ruth directly to Boaz and is instructing her concerning Boaz, so this should have been what was done with this other kinsman. And hence, again, I believe it's quite obvious, providentially worked this obviously, that Naomi or that Ruth went to, to Boaz's field. We know that that was God's providence. But yet we also understand that Naomi didn't send Ruth to some other kinsman because I do believe, and by all indication, she was totally ignorant of his existence or that he was alive or whatever. And so she wasn't aware, evidently, and so she is sending, sending Ruth to Boaz. So it would have been up to Ruth or Naomi to deal with this other kinsman, and yet notice what Boaz does. Boaz vows that he will personally deal with the other kinsman. He does not tell Naomi or Ruth to go deal with his kinsman. Matthew Henry commented that he would pr- himself propose, Boaz, it to the other kinsman and know his mind. The Hebrew word for a widow signifies that one is dumb. Now he's talking about that he is the one. Boaz is going to go to this other kinsman. And, and the Hebrew word for a widow signifies that one is dumb. Boaz will therefore open his mouth for the dumb, Proverbs 31.8, which Proverbs 31.8 reads, Open thy mouth for the dumb in the cause of all such as are appointed to destruction. And he will say that for this widow, which she knew not how to say for herself. In other words, he's saying that Naomi would not have known how to approach this other kinsman or how to deal with this other kinsman. She would not have known what to have said to this other kinsman. And if Naomi didn't know, then surely Ruth herself would not know how to deal with this. And so Boaz is going to speak out on their behalf. He's going to address his other kinsmen. He's going to approach his other kinsmen. He's going to deal with the other kinsmen. And he goes on to say that if the other kinsmen refuse to do the kinsmen's part, he would do it. Boaz would do it. Would marry the widow, redeem the land, and so repair the family. This promise he backs with a solemn oath, for it was a conditional contract of marriage. Verse 13, as the Lord liveth. That's what he says. The verse referenced again, Proverbs 31.8, speaks about when one is facing destruction, when one does not know how to respond, then open your mouth for them. And that's the point that was being made here, that Boaz is opening his mouth on their behalf, on Ruth's behalf, but also alleviating Naomi from this responsibility because Boaz is the one who would deal with this. He committed himself to do what Ruth was unable to do. He would go to the near kinsmen, he would deal with them in an appropriate manner, and Boaz further told Ruth to wait for him to complete the work to which he committed himself. Let's ever be reminded, and remember, there, there are parallels here that we can draw. This is a historical narrative. I'm trying to give you the historical setting and help you to understand what is actually taking place. But there are also things for us to consider. There are considerations here. And there are parallels from which we can draw as we see this, redemp- this love story of redemption unfolding throughout the entirety of this book of Ruth. And redemption is God's work. Our Heavenly Father appropriately deals with the opposition to our redemption, which is to say our flesh. Christ took care of that on our behalf. Even when we were ignorant of the true presence and problem of our flesh, the Lord knew how to get to the bottom of the problem and deal with it appropriately, which is through this redemption. Now, let me remind you of something. Just as Ruth could not go to this other kinsman, not even realizing his existence until Boaz exposed him. So also, 
She did not know how to deal with him, not even knowing who he was. She wasn't aware of his existence. She was not aware of his name. She didn't know anything about him. And might I say, until God brings us to the place to where we see Christ for who he is, we never see ourselves for what we are. The flesh, the inherent sinful nature that we possess, it is never as bad in our eyes as it really is. It's never as terrible. And many ignorant to its presence, not even realizing of its existence in reality, until God really opens up the understanding. I'm not saying men don't know right from wrong, but they don't understand the gravity and weight of their sin and their sinful nature before a holy God. And only God can open our eyes to this truth. Then look at love's perseverance in verses 14 through 18. We'll be brief here and wrap up for this evening. And she lay at his feet until the morning, and she rose up before one could know another. And he said, Boaz, let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. Also he said, bring the veil that thou hast upon thee and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her, and she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Who art thou, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done unto her. And she said, These six measures of barley gave he me, for he said to, not, to me, Go not empty unto thy mother-in-law. Then said she, Sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall. For the man will not be in rest until he have finished this, the thing this day. Here we find love's perseverance, both with Boaz and Ruth. Beginning with Boaz in verse 13, Boaz committed himself to ensure Ruth's redemption. We've already seen that. And concerning Ruth, and, and notice this, here's what he's saying. And, and historically speaking, Boaz ensured Ruth's redemption. You say, well, wait a minute. Boaz didn't know how this was going to play out. Yes, he did. He knew it to this degree. He said, either this man will redeem you or I will redeem you. Either way, Ruth was going to be redeemed. So Boaz is committed to her redemption. Now, as you consider this, we see that Boaz commits himself to ensure Ruth is redeemed one way or the other. And concerning Ruth, she patiently waited at the feet of Boaz. Ruth knew there was nothing she could do other than listen to the instruction of Boaz and rest in his promise. Boaz further gave Ruth a token of his love and commitment to her and her redemption. Verse 15, also he said, bring the veil that thou hast upon thee and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her, and she went into the city. Remember, anytime there is a covenant that is made, now this is, may not be a genuine covenant, but it's a promise. But in the scriptures, whenever a covenant was made, there was always a token of the covenant. And in this case, here a promise is made by Boaz, and he gives her this token of provision. He goes above and beyond just making a promise. In fact, I would venture to say that as Ruth went home that, that morning, as she heads back to the house, when she gets to Naomi, not only does that provision that Boaz has given reassure her of Boaz's commitment that she will be redeemed, but also Naomi testified, oh, don't worry, Ruth, Boaz will not rest until this thing is accomplished. And there's no doubt that this token was just affirmation of that. It was again assurance that I'm going to do what I said I would do. And you go home blessed. Do not go home empty-handed. You can rest in my word. Boaz was gracious to both Ruth and Naomi by providing the food to Ruth that she might take it back to Naomi. 
And such an act by Boaz was a show of his love, of his grace, and again a token of his continued commitment to Ruth and her redemption. Naomi further affirmed the commitment of Boaz in verses 16 through 18. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Who art thou, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done to her. And she said, These six measures of barley gave me, for he said to me, Go not empty unto thy mother-in-law. Then said she, then said Naomi to Ruth, Sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall, for the man will not be in rest until he have finished the thing this day. Boaz was committed to the redemption of Ruth, and he was willing to deal with the near kinsman as he was the only one capable of doing such. He was willing to count the cost. He was willing to give of himself on Ruth's behalf, and he was committed to redeem Ruth. Once again, we are reminded again of these many parallels of Ruth's redemption by Boaz to that of our own redemption by our Lord. Jesus Christ alone was able to deal with our sinful flesh. And by the way, as far as we understand it, there was a time where now Christ is our brother. Now he is our kinsman. Now we are espoused to become his bride. But might I say, prior to our redemption, there was one closer to us than was our Lord. Now since our redemption, there is none closer to us than him. And he's freed us from the bondage of that other kinsman. He's freed us from that, that responsibility or that, that tie that was in connection that was there. Again, not that we don't deal with the presence of sin, but we're not under its power and its bondage. Ruth was still under the bondage. Well, really, the bondage to this other kinsman. What did this other kinsman done to help Ruth? Nothing. Did this other even kinsman, did this other kinsman even acknowledge Ruth's existence? Not at this point. Not to this point. How had he, had he had this other kinsman sacrificed himself on the on the behalf of Ruth? Absolutely not. Yet Boaz had done all of this and continued to do so. Are you, are you seeing this? So this other kinsman's closer to Ruth, but yet has nothing good to do with Ruth at all. But yet we'll see where that other kinsman is totally taken out of the picture because Ruth is now committed and given unto Boaz because Boaz redeems her and marries her and delivers from under this legality. And understand this. Here, listen, 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 listen. Boaz is not interested in having some legal contract with Ruth. Boaz is interested in a relationship with Ruth. This other kinsman, the only reason he's even brought into the picture because there is a legal responsibility that is present. Think about this for a moment. Everything that Boaz has given to Ruth has been out of grace, has it not? The only connection, the only connection that Ruth has with the other kinsmen is one out of law. Are you, are you following this? We were once under the law, but now we're under grace. And the sinful flesh was present, and Christ alone was able to deal with our sinful flesh. Two, Jesus Christ was willing to count the cost. Philippians 2 tells us that clearly, doesn't it? Thought it not robbery to be equal with God, and yet he humbled himself, became, uh, took on the form of a servant. And it became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And Galatians also tells us, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Remember that? So the fact of the matter is that he was willing to experience the wrath of the Heavenly Father upon himself on our behalf. He counted the cost. And third, Jesus Christ alone was willing to give of himself for our redemption. Boaz is laying it all out. He's saying, here it is. I'm going to take care of this. You will be redeemed. And if he will not fulfill the responsibility, which he could not do, and you'll find out, he goes on to say, I cannot do this. 
The near kinsman admits, I'm not, I'm, I'm not capable, to, I can't do this. Boaz says, I can, and he does. And so again, beautiful picture here concerning our redemption, beautiful parallels to draw. And, and again, listen, please be aware, in no fashion or form am I attempting to spiritualize the text. I'm simply saying this is redemption's love story, and there are so many parallels from which we can draw as we consider this actual historical narrative that took place. Now, it's not a pure type of our redemption, but there are a lot of similarities that are present throughout the account. And again, this just causes us to see the beauty of our Redeemer and the glory of this redemption to which we've been called. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word and the opportunity to open it tonight and to see the beauty of your redemption that you've provided us in Jesus Christ.